internet. Terrible what passes for ninjas these days. My name is Matthew Kroll. And pancakes are love. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically Review Roundup Issue 2. Issue? issue? Episode? Episode? You know what? We're making a zine. Fuck the podcast scene. Uh, <laughs> and we are going to cover today in our magical zine for your ear holes, Inception and Speed Racer. It's like... Uh... Peanut butter and gum together at last. That's a Simpsons joke, by the way. <laughs> Simpsons did it. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So this was a. I, I was actually kind of excited about this one. Last, uh, the last review roundup that you would have heard a couple of weeks ago, we put together two dark thrillers that happened to be joined by one Mr. Jake Gyllenhaal, and that was the Jake Gyllenhaal Thriller Hour. And yep. this is the summer blockbuster hour. And I've been I've been struggling for a week to try and figure out how to connect these two movies. Okay. Um, is Speed Racer a blockbuster? Well, n- no. No, it's not. But <laughs> but uh, there was one question that Will, the person who requested Speed Racer, asked, which allowed me to connect these two movies in one way. And I thought it was, uh, and I'll get to that when we get to reading out his uh, his questions list. But um, I got very excited once I figured out how to connect these two movies. Okay. And the way I'm going to connect these two movies is with one phrase. Sure. Imagined realities. Okay. 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 We can hold on to imagined realities for a second. Let's hold on to it. Okay. Um, but this uh, review roundup episode list zine, whatever you want to call it, is our attempt to finally clear out the the backlog of requests that we that we asked you, the listener, to give us, and you kindly did, and we did not fulfill our end of the bargain yet. But now we are doing that. <laughs> so these some of these requests, I believe Will's request came from 2017. Hell perhaps? yeah. Great year, 2017. Might have been 2016. It was a while back. Every time Will emails, and Will is a fantastic listener, by the way. I love talking to Will. Uh, every time he emails, he's like, uh, we, we, I always kind of have to sneak in my apology for not having tackle speed racing Not yet. anymore, you don't. But not now. This is for you, Will. That's right. Um, and so uh, we will institute a more streamlined, more efficient request process so that we can get through these in a little bit quicker so it doesn't take you two years to hear about the movie you want to discuss. Yes. Uh, but that'll be after we clear out these reviews, which I believe will be two more episodes, which will cover six films. Seven films. Six films. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. I was like, wait, no, why don't we just add one? Because yeah. screw it. Yeah. Uh, no, you're 100% we are, right. And, and, and I, we do appreciate that everyone contacts us, but there are, there are, we are still getting requests, even though we have closed up the request we closed base. the lines. Uh, so there are no more requests uh, in for now, and we're going to be a little bit more selective with our requests, not because we're being douchebags, although we are. Uh, it's just that we want to be a little bit more selective and efficient and make choices that mean that these happen quicker. Yeah, we don't want to be sitting on your requests uh, that we ask you to give us uh for years to come i was actually um uh, i was actually in a conversation uh I, I, we've been getting actually I, you know what i love everyone who listens to this show because we've been getting requests even though we, we've been getting more requests since we said we're not taking requests than ever before i got my first request via instagram and uh i i felt bad that i had to turn them uh, down but uh, one day one day we'll be back oh she will never instagram dm you again i felt bad but uh, I, but uh, you know it's, it's nice to be excited uh and so if you do want to get in touch with us uh right now we are we would love to hear your thoughts on any review we've done or any questions you have the specific films that don't involve us doing a whole hour review that's i guess that's one of the things is te- we really do sit down to do these films in, in a bit of detail i'll watch the movie twice if i can um and so i'll watch if, it i'll watch it three times yeah. <laughs> well i'll watch it four times well I'll, I'll just leave it on in wherever i go yeah yeah i'll play it on my phone it's, yep. i'm watching it right now we're watching both i'm watching <laughs> speed racer and I'm, inception at the same time i'm putting them up on split screen 
and playing them at double speed just so I can cover them for this movie. I'm playing them a half speed. Speed Racer at double speed is a terrifying oh. thought. At any rate, email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. Uh, for your questions, uh, we I had a fantastic question uh, about Sorry to Bother You, which unfortunately I cannot discuss on the podcast because um, it uh, it would give away too big a spoiler for that for that particular movie. But uh, thank you again for that email. Uh, I really we really enjoyed that email. Um, and and now moving on to Matt, I want to I want to just set the stage. Two thousand and eight, Speed Racer. Where were you in two thousand eight? That's ten years ago. Ten years ago in two thousand eight, I had just finished. I had just completed. Uh, oh my God! This is a blast from the past. I don't know if you have ever seen these. Remember uh, my old my old movie review uh, racket yeah. with Mr. Stephen Buja, uh, Stephen Van Patten, and Aaron Gould called Same Night Tonight. Okay. Uh, and same night movie review. We had just completed what what essentially was a sketch comedy half hour show. Okay. Based around being a fake uh, award show for films called I shit you not the Golden Shot Awards. The Golden Shot Awards. And it was because we rated films with alcohol, one shot being the best, five being the worst, because the more alcohol you need, the worse the film probably is. Okay. Uh, it's and we had just completed it after working on it for a full year. So we were we were we were putting around with all of two thousand seven and two thousand eight's films for the you know, if there was a, a category, for instance, we would be instead of showing clips from the movies, yeah, we would act out scenes that were uh, in the vein of the movies, not like line for line, but like that would give you the feeling the movies gave you. Okay. And then there was also like a bit of a Muppet Show-esque sort of side plot going on in the background. Anyway, that's what I was doing in <laughs> 2008. I was not watching Speed Racer. Okay. All right. Um, I, I stayed away from Speed Racer. I think, I look, 10 years ago. I don't think I was still like full edge lord, but like I was definitely still trying to. That was back when like how old was I? I was 20, 26, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I was still trying to be cool. Okay. Uh, and You've so given up the facade. Now. Oh yeah, come on. Uh, <laughs> but the so like I was like probably in the camp of like you know still coming off the Matrixes. Uh, and now the Wachowskis are doing Speed Racer, and I was never a fan of the cartoon. Okay, and I didn't really have much to latch onto, and it looked all bubblegum and poppy, and and just sort of, um, you know, stuff that probably didn't match with my image back then. Um, <laughs> your movie had to match your image. Listen, I wore had black nail polish till I was thirty three years old, and I was wearing a dark leather trench coat, and I loved every second of it. Please don't get me wrong. <laughs> Uh, props to my roots, yeah. but uh, those sweet, sweet, dark, dark gothic roots. Um, but I just wasn't. This wasn't in my. Uh, it wasn't in my perif. Okay. All what right. about you? Uh, I uh, I'm going to jump ahead to 2009 because that's when I actually watched Speed Racer, okay. and I watched it on uh, video. Yeah, you know, home DVD or some. I, somehow we were watching it on home. Betamax. Betamax, probably. Laser disc. And I was watching with with my best bud Luke, and Luke and I uh, have a thing, which is that we love to watch bad movies together. We we Luke and I will line up for midnight screenings all the time. That's fun. Um, you know, he was my go to guy for like midnight movie. You know, any movie that's coming out. You know, big big Hollywood blockbuster that's coming out in a midnight night we will get tickets and we'll go at midnight right 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 we didn't go to see speed racer <laughs> <laughs> but but we did get it on on dvd uh, a year later we popped it in we watched it for 15 minutes and both of us said i don't want to watch this anymore interesting we were, and this and this is the thing we have a high tolerance for shitty movies and we have a high tolerance for like 
you know, just sugar rush kind of cotton candy, popcorn kind of movie. Right. And this was one where, where both of us just looked at each other and said, I don't want to watch any more. This is, this is overwhelming to my senses. Well, it seems like uh, Will kind of had a similar... A similar thing here. Yeah. So Will asked us to do the movie. And what were Will? Will had a couple of very specific questions about the movie. One, can style be substance? If yes, then what happens if this style doesn't age particularly well? Two, chimpanzee and spittle? Spriddle. Spriddle. I think his name was Spray. Uh, what was the character's name? You know, the the little kid. Oh, uh, the 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 yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, the comic duo. And then three, races still looked cool though, right? Right. And he also mentioned how his partner dropped off of Speed Racer after 10 minutes. That was the part I was referencing, just yeah, like yeah. you. Which is exactly the same thing that happened to me. Um, the the thing I was curious about the, watching it this time around was I was kind of trying to place myself in the Wachowskis, the Wachowskis frame of reference. So the Matrix's Bound had come out. The, they had written um, uh, Two Assassins. Yep. Um, and, uh, was that the title? Was it, the t- it was the no. They'd written Assassins, the movie Assassins, Assassins with uh, Antonio Banderas and Sylvester Stallone, and uh, and then the and then obviously Matrix had come out, and Matrix had changed the world. Wait, hold on. I'm sorry. I have to back up a little bit. Wachowskis wrote Assassins. I believe so. now. I'm going to have to Google this. Please do. I, yeah. I love Assassins. Yep. Assassin. They wrote the. They wrote Assassins. My life just connected in a weird, snappy, like last piece of a puzzle way. That is a. Am- I love Assassins. It's been a while since I've seen Assassins. I'm, I'm sure it's terrible, but you. But it's too much ingrained in my like like weird action movie nonsense world where. Oh, and it's directed by Richard Donner, who's a great director. Oh, I love Assassins. Yeah. Well, so that was their breakthrough hit, and then they directed. Bound, which I love, I absolutely adore Bound, um, and then uh, and then obviously they change the world with the Matrix. Yes, are you a big fan of the Matrix? Uh, yes, but but leather he, trench coats. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing yes. But here's the deal: I was I was wearing that before the Matrix, and then <laughs> honestly, the Matrix still age loading right did a now. lot of. I know uh, the Matrix actually did a lot uh, more damage to my image than my initial you know leather trench coat did because then everyone thought I was being Neo, and then I'm like, that's not no. <laughs> But I like, was Neo before Neo was Neo. I, I well, no, I was never Neo. That's the thing. Like you can, I don't know. That's just what iconography is. Yeah, I do like the Matrix. I liked it a lot when it came out. Yeah, I also like it continually. I've I've gone back and probably watched it every three or four years, and it's still good. Yeah. Um, the sequels are rough and then rougher. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know if you know it's it's that's a. <sighs> It's a different. It's a. It's an entirely different conversation. Sure. I just want to. I just want to like frame us up. And before we get to uh, Animatrix, I was a big fan of a lot right. of that too, which they oversaw. It, it was more yeah. interesting stories. I think that this though, and I think this is something that comes from age. Again, I, 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 I have gradually moved away from from all of the edgelordiness that I used to endeavor to be, and uh, there's something I think cathartic about being known. For one thing, and if that thing is like grim, dark, noir, tech, uh, f- philosophy, like you know, action, yeah. you know, badass stuff, to then just do a one eighty, go full bubblegum PG, yeah, and do it with just like a a a, a well known yet not really popular anymore kids franchise, yeah. And I think back when this came out, mm-hmm. I was like, what are they doing? Like this is this is so stupid. This is the dumbest thing they'd ever do. Da, da, da. But like now, again, as as an older gentleman, it makes so much sense. Right. 
it's it's a palate cleanser and 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 it's such an uh, opposite swing of the pendulum mm -hmm. with, uh, you know with without sacrificing style just the the style pendulum broke off and swung on to another pendulum like it's just <laughs> it's so different right um i had not seen speed racer until yesterday okay but you, you knew it existed. You I knew, knew it what existed. It, had you seen clips of it? Or, nope. You hadn't seen anything of it. I saw like TV ads when it came out. Okay. I just stayed away. I have, uh, this week, I've spent so much time reading so many think pieces, watching so many video essays about Speed Racer, uh, because I have been trying to get over that initial, there, there I, I think there are basically only two movies in existence where I've turned it off after 15 minutes and, and, ne and never returned to it. And the other one is one I really want to go back to, it was Tombstone. Um, and it was because I was in a theater with like, 20 other people and we were the only 20 people there and nobody was watching the movie and so we left and I, I've always wanted to finish watching that movie but sure. that and Speed Racer are literally the only two films in existence that I haven't watched all the way through once starting so I kind of want I was excited to go back but I, I just remember my initial response to those first 15 minutes which were I felt like I had, I felt like Sprittle and Chim Chim when they when they broke into the candy into the candy thing in uh, in the airplane, yeah, and then just inhaled way too much chocolate in one hit and was just passed out on the floor. I I found those first fifteen minutes so overwhelming, such a sh yeah. It was the only way I could describe it was a sugar rush of a movie, and it was way too much sugar for me. Just, just I, I felt overwhelmed. And so I was curious to go back. And then recently, because it's the 10-year anniversary of Speed Racer, there have been all these think pieces come out about how this is an underrated masterpiece, about how, uh, because the movie did flop. It Again, to put it in context, in 2008, uh, it came out the weekend after Iron Man which absolutely destroyed it. Uh, it did not have good uh, word of mouth reviews. It didn't, it, uh, you know, it did poorly in its first week and it continued to decrease. It eventually made, uh, made its money back, but it didn't, it was by no means a smash, smash. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, and then of course the other film that came out that year, uh, you know, there were many of them, but the, but the other film uh, that, that made a deep impression that year was The Dark Knight. The only three <laughs> films that came out in yeah. 2008. And, and Wally. Um, but uh, so in the spick, and I think this is going to relate to, uh, Raphael's question about Inception later on, which is about blockbusters, which is why I wanted to kind of frame these two films together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is, is, is in terms of how does this film play as some blockbuster? And of course, the question is not very well. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't do very well. Um, but I have been, as I said, watching so many pieces, trying to, trying to get into the headset of like, why do people love this movie? Because there is a big resurgence of people that absolutely love this movie, that claim, you know, that call it an unrated masterpiece. And I have to say, no, sir, it is the kids that are wrong on this one because I am not on board with this movie. Now, I appreciate it on a way because it's been 10 years. Again, I appreciate it uh, in terms of putting it in context of 2008, where the Wachowskis were before this, where they got to, how they ended at this point, um, where the kind of bold step that this film is and how very few films look and feel like this. I kind of, I do appreciate all of that. But I found this to be such a, almost tonal monstrosity where I, I like the first 10 minutes I was like I think my son would like this my two year old son might enjoy the colorfulness and vibrancy of yeah. this movie and then it got into a discussion about corporate capitalism and stock prices and I was like oh, you know what I think we might have to get, yeah, I think this might go over his head and then it became a sincere family drama with ninjas for some reason and I, I was just all over the map with this movie and I couldn't 
I couldn't quite latch on to anything. I want to talk about Will's specific question because I think that's an excellent question. Can style be substance? Um, I think that's a really, really great question. Um, but I will, but but now that this is the first time that you've seen this movie, Matt, what are you what are your thoughts on your overall thoughts before we dive deep? Uh, I liked it. Hmm? I don't think I would have liked it back then. Yeah. Um, what I, did you like about it? I like it because. It is unap- not only is it unapologetic as to what it is, mm-hmm. and it is a love letter, a near frame accurate. Not frame accurate is the wrong term because obviously it's not, but but a tonally, I'll say tonally frame accurate recreation in live action and uh, you know dated, dated CG yeah. of the cartoon. Every actor in this film, and they do get muddled by the effects and and all mm. the other stuff. Yeah, is seemingly having an amazing time acting these super broad, very intense characters. Yeah. Like, and it's... I think it has a lot to do with being so sure of what it is, not apologizing for what it is, and also, honestly, being in our current 2018 climate that all that sort of together really made me latch onto it more than I think I would have back, you know, in 2008. I wasn't prepared to have any emotional connection whatsoever to any character in this film, mm-hmm. let alone multiple. Right. And I did, again, not like a crazy, like, oh, my God, I'll think about what this character went through for the rest of my... No, but, like, it it painted things so distinctly and one-notedly... <laughs> But in that performance, it was like a it was like a masterclass. Like for instance, if if I need to feel what exactly the color like red would make me feel, right? The characters in this movie sort of do that, like that level of like it's 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 not nuanced. It's pure baseline. Like this is red, this is blue, this is yellow. But it's the clearest red, blue, yellow you've kind of ever seen. Do you mean do you mean from an emotional? Analogy? I mean from an emotional, not so not some, from that muddled CG. I'm so, talking about from a character. Yeah. Um, so if a, someone is a is a is a sincere about their love for racing, you've got that character. The archetypes are all there and a hundred percent crystal clear and and in your face right and you taught you put on that a lot of the characters are also like it it is weirdly a family movie like it's about this family and every character for the most part Mm -hmm. gets their moment right um everyone gets an emotional tie to speed yeah and and you know it's cheesy as fuck but like I think it might have to do with a lot with the time and the time I'm watching this movie. I kind of need some cheesy as fuck. I kind of need some saccharine good guy beats a corporate nonsense thing. And it's 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 a childish way of thinking mm-hmm. and it's too fucking long. Yeah. But you know, I I I think I wanted that and I didn't think I knew I wanted that and you can you can trash this movie on a lot of things, and I don't think. Let me rephrase when I'm. I feel like I'm praising, praising, praising. Yeah, yeah. This is not an undiscovered masterpiece. Right. This is a a film that does one specific thing incredibly well, and if you can latch onto that one specific thing, which mm-hmm. I feel like I did, I don't think I would have back in 2008. Then it's a special fun. 
movie. What's what's the one thing? Is it the emotional thing or is it the visual? It's. The, I honestly think it's style. Can style be substance? Right. I think it's all together. Right. And by that I mean, I, I, I was trying to think of this, and it's kind of hard to put into words. But obviously, the visuals, and I was like with you, like the first ten minutes, I was like, I like the way this classroom looks. The colors are really nice. And then they go driving outside, and I'm like, because uh, it's awful looking. Yeah. But you get sort of over that because the substance or the style isn't just the visual style. Even though the I, I use the colors as an analogy because that's a strong visual aspect to it, even though I was talking about emotional tones. Yeah. The characters themselves and what they all believe and what they all want is so one note, just like all of the plot points, just like all of the actual color tones in the film – just like how you know haptic the racing is, the racing it, the uh, that's the only word to describe it is just haptic yeah. uh, nonsense. It all just funnels itself into this s- substance of style, right? <laughs> and it, uh, it it's it's nice. It's easy. Yeah, it's not easy to follow a lot of mm-hmm. times. So depending on oh, you know what I I actually take that back. A lot of the races that are so complicated, and I do think they're overblown, or they don't need that much sort of you know pop and flash and whatever. Mm-hmm. I actually never didn't know where a car I wanted to know like where it was, where it was. Like I was never lost. Okay, and these are complicated, weird, yeah, Mario Kart eight tracks. Yeah, and there's weapons and and nonsense and oil slicks and and snake and bee launchers. And I'm like, what the shit? Yeah, but to be honest, and again, this is where the Wachowski's pedigree comes through. I followed the action. I was never like there was one part in the movie, and it was actually a narrative hole. I'll talk about later. That I was like, wait, what? Why do they need to do that? Yeah. Um, and and it's funny. It was complex enough. It was all the stuff that I really cared about in the emotional core of it is about family and about the love of a thing, and it'll carry you through. But like when the when the when the big bad sneery guy. Uh, Rex Rexelson Royalton Royalton yeah uh, gives his like speech to speed yeah I was like this is he he's chewing scenery on obviously but like it was a it was a feel bad speech like <laughs> I, I get that the, 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 what he was trying to make speed feel yeah. I felt right even though it's a fucking ridiculous world so this movie has to be doing something right yeah if these if what should just be cookie cutter cutouts of nonsense characters are making me feel the way that they're supposed to be making the main character feel when they speak to them. Okay. And that's for the good the good the good notes and the bad notes as far as like being yelled at or being like a loving, you know, mm-hmm. when his father talks to him or his mother or even uh Trixie or whoever. Yeah. So yeah. It's weird. It's <laughs> and it's not for everybody. I mean the it took me a minute to get used to how it was cut together. Yeah. Like time means nothing. Yeah, it it does. There's a that the first 15 minutes I think is overwhelming, not just because of the visual style, but it's also packing in a lot of story within that first race. So you see exactly the moment to moment narrative connection between Speed's past and things that are happening in the race, and it even um, manifests itself into like this uh, sort of game mechanic uh, of seeing the ghost race in front of you. Mario Kart. Uh, yeah, and and I think it's 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 a pretty. It's a pretty big sensory overload in that first few minutes. And if you can get on board with it, it's kind of amazing. Uh, I have not been able to get on board Which with it. Which is totally understandable. Uh, and I think I, I I did think about a couple of things that are reasons why I was never able to totally get on board with this. And one of the things I was thinking about was um, 
Eric Stoltz. The actor Eric Stoltz, mm-hmm. who's not in this film. Uh, <laughs> I was, I'm waiting to see where you go with this. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Eric Stoltz was originally cast as Marty McFly in Back to the Future. Yes, yes, and, yes. And have you ever seen those original clips of Eric Stoltz as... Uh, Forever ago. Yeah, yeah. And the thing was that, that Robert Zemeckis kind of watched it and decided, hey, Eric Stoltz is kind of... He's doing more of a closer to a real drama, and I want an actor who's going to get sell me the the sort of absurdity of it all and yeah. have fun with it. And then they recast Michael J. Fox, and the rest is history. I could never get on board with Emil Hirsch as Speed in this film. I felt he was delivering almost too sincere a performance for what the world of this film is. So whenever he was talking about, you know, I really just believe in racing, and racing is about you know this and its connection to that, I was like, I really kind of want an actor to like overkill this and like and to sell me something that matches the visuals which is what whereas what i'm seeing in him is like you know because obviously he's probably performing this in front of a green screen or whatever and he doesn't know what those visuals are and they and for him the visuals could be the dark knight or something like that you know like it could be an entirely photorealistic world and and i and and i found that that tonal juxtaposition just never quite played for me um i never quite got on board i i certainly see the sincerity in the story there's nothing wrong with the story it's played for complete absolute sincerity uh and i have no issue with that but but for example when emil hirsch's character speed is doing that monologue and then we cut to chim chim and spriddle kind of doing like this guitar solo rampage through the laboratory uh i kind of never found those tones to reconcile in any sort of in any sort of cohesive way for me. That was Freebird, by the way. Sorry. Freebird? It was literally the song Freebird. Oh, was it Freebird? And I was like, wow, okay. Um, so I, I, I just, that's the reason. But I certainly, the, the other thing is, is I certainly appreciate the sort of audacity of the visual language of this film, which is that it doesn't feel, it's no, in no way a gimmick. It feels like this is a, this is a very clearly worked out visual world that they have developed that has a connection to obviously the 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 anime cartoon that it came from but also develops it into a three-dimensional state um uses a different palette kind of makes it brighter and more colorful and you know suits the 3d rend- renders of it so i really i actually dug that it was entirely um considered like nothing feels no. haphazard it doesn't feel like this was made amateur i mean i will say the when they walk outside and it's and it's like the green screens kind of reminded me of like the phantom menace green screens kind of thing uh, well, and, and, and and a little bit worse to be honest with you but but i could kind of buy it as the tone as the tonality of the film the outsides look like a sonic the hedgehog background yeah. like it's like you're like huh yeah but i could i could kind of like go yeah, okay, this is what you're doing. You know, like that, that it's not It's not that they're doing things badly. It's like they've made a clear choice. Let's make the world outside bright and kind of cut out-ish-y. Yeah. Um, but I never got on board with the actual story. Like, for example, the reveal of Racer X and the brother's story of, leave, you know, of leaving and passing away and Pops, you know, like feeling regret. It's all there, and I get it. I just didn't buy the sincerity of the tonal quality of that story alongside the visual ridiculousness i think you actually it's it's this is honestly the most this is so you and me um but i think the thing that you didn't like about speed's performance and like how you can't latch on to it because he's too earnest and it doesn't seem to fit in the world 
I actually see as the reason why I do. It's the anchor for you. I think if he was as over the top as everyone else, yeah. it would feel too hokum for me, and I couldn't put myself in that character. Like he's he's almost like a bit of a blank slate. Yeah, and and even the way. I, I keep going back to because I was shocked how even Susan Sarandon and John Goodman and 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 uh, Christina Ricci, and whenever there was a, a, a scene talking to Speed, yeah. the way that the angles were set up and the closeness you were to those people was was very intimate in a yeah. weird sort of way, especially surrounded by this bombastic nonsense when that's not going on. Yeah, and with Speed being the one that's not sort of as over the top, it really was able to the combination of those two things was really able to put me in that in the driver's seat of of being or not being speed racer but of definitely understanding how speed would feel without his performance being the thing that informs me right. if that makes sense he is he is the cipher in which i can experience what that character is supposed to be experiencing i don't think that's maybe that was on purpose maybe it wasn't i don't think it's a herald of uh, well, it's not good character writing, but it might be good script writing, depending on what you're trying to do. I can totally also agree that if you did kind of do what I was suggesting and find like a Michael J. Fox to do the to sell the sort of G whiz of it a little bit more, that it might become even more overwhelming. I think I wouldn't like it. Yeah, yeah, I could totally, I can totally buy that. But I, as it stands, I kind of, I think I just thought a little bit about how. Eric Stoltz didn't fit in Back to the Future and Michael J. Fox did. And I kind of felt like Emil Hirsch's performance didn't quite fit into what the rest of this world was. It's interesting because Back to the Future, you need the character that Michael J. Fox turned Marnie McFly into. You need it or it doesn't work. You can't play. It doesn't play off. If you don't have that thing to play off Doc Brown, then the rest of the stuff yeah. just sort of falls apart. This, I feel like it's almost like... Um, uh, you know, uh, a, a Jenga board or, 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 you know, like a puzzle where if you take out like the one thing, it's amazing that it all still stands because it's, you yeah. know, everything's sort of leaning on itself to keep it up. And I think the style, the other actors, everything. Like I found Christina Ricci kind of was in the right movie. The you literal know? embodiment of anime. I've yeah. never seen a human being feel so much like a cartoon all of them kind of did that yeah exi exi except except speed except for speed but I, I liked that and also and also speed and and racer you know matthew fox and and is and you know spoiler alert for who matthew fox actually turns out to be uh you know those three that that trifecta of brothers which is kind of the center of the movie i kind of found they, it felt like they were in a different movie. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't, I don't think so. I think race. I, look, Matthew Fox is a complicated character uh, in, in cinema and television history. I think he nails this here. I think he chews scenery. I think everyone does, and he has to be the edgelordy one in a world that is distinctly not edgelordy. Remember, I'm not saying that he's bad, and I'm not saying Emil Hirsch is bad. I'm saying that their to the tonality of their performance didn't gel for me. I think Racer X, even though it's a different emotional feeling, his intensity and tone matches the intensity and tone of every other one note of every other character with the exception of Speed. Again, Speed is the one that doesn't fit this, but I don't I don't think the storyline necessarily doesn't fit. I think it's just there's different things to latch on to. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I guess what I'm the way maybe another way to describe it is I felt like 
Racer X, uh, you know, played by Matthew Fox, was kind of like Christian Bale's Batman dropping into this world. Yeah, and I was like, and I was like, Ugh, but that's I, always what Racer X was, even and, in the, even the cartoons. And I and I just kind of didn't. I I, I found it to be kind of a, a heavy mismatch that didn't quite gel for me. I liked but, that he talked like this. But but I liked you know again the the other thing that I really liked watching it. And I was like you know I, we got to the end of the movie and I was like oh that's it. There's no sequel spinoff. There's no like continuing story. It was like, that's it. This is a, and it is a complete story. Sure. It is a, you know, a story from beginning to end. That is the end. And I was, and I, and I found that really refreshing. And I was just like remembering, oh yeah, Iron Man came out the week beforehand, which like, you know, Iron Man is not as guilty of this as later films would become, but you know, Iron Man sits up the stage for continuing ongoing stories and i watched this and i was like oh i kind of like that this is just one story and this is and that is it and and it feels very complete i feel like i've gone on the journey that was meant to be told by this story and there is no more to tell and i and i that there was something about that that i that really spoke to me i was i found that really refreshing now yeah i mean it's here's the thing about this film i don't think i'll never no, that's not true. I was going to say I'll never like adamantly defend it against someone who said it's a piece of shit. Right. Like, but I think I would <laughs> uh, because it's not a piece of shit. It's just a different thing than, yeah, than most a- any other thing. And I, I'll never, I'll never rag on somebody for not liking a thing if you know they just sort of say like it's not like if you can. It's kind of like <laughs> whoa, whoa. It's kind of like mother. And by that I mean, if you can tell me why you don't like it, yeah, and and, and it makes sense in in either a, a critical standpoint or even just a emotional or tonal or what you feel, what your likes and dislikes are, yeah, I will a hundred percent respect the fact that you don't like it, which is yeah. sort of true for everything. I but like, there's other films where I'll get more amped about being like, well, no, like or. I don't know. It's so, just not something I'm, I th- want to argue with. I think the thing there is that is that you can never discount the ambition of the movie as being haphazard or half-hearted. Right. Like it, it, you, you know, that's that thing. Whereas, like, I will always praise a film that has uh, ambitions and fails in my eyes, uh, as opposed to something that feels kind of haphazard and and you know succeeds. Right. I, I, I'm I'm more impressed by uh, by the uh, the this, the gravitas with which they m- constructed this film sure. feels very, very complete. It feels very uh, in control, and it feels very much like they wanted to say. I, I don't feel anything in this film is a mistake, or anything in this film is out of it was was chosen uh, uh, inconsequentially. Yeah, um, and so I I will like I, I will I will defend it for that. I personally just didn't attach to the film sure. at any point, and I found that tonal incongruity um, difficult for me to get over to actually enjoy. And and like you said, it is long. It, it is, is long. It's two hours and fifteen minutes. And what's funny is a uh, uh, like. I, I I put it on and like and I hit pause like in the first five minutes just because I wanted to go grab a drink or something. And it was like and when I saw the two hours and fifteen minutes, <laughs> my my heart just kind of sank a little bit and I was like, Oh boy, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> like I really I want I, I'm gonna do it, but I really don't know if I can do this. Right. Um so it it was a struggle. The thing I think I wanna get to though. Is this? I really do want to get to this question of can style be substance, because obviously this film has a real 
stylistic approach, which is unlike anything we've seen before. And there are a couple of precedents to this kind of overt stylism. Um, I, you know, in, in in critical film studies, there's there's uh, a couple of opposite spectrums of of how you can approach style. One is real is is a uh, an absolute adherence to realism, sure, and that's where you kind of you know like it's almost like a stage play kind of thing. You lock the camera off, you put it back, and you just kind of let the scenes unfold without too much art direction or what have you. And then the other side is like overt formalism, uh, which is what this is an example of, where everything is art directed, where the camera moves in certain ways, where the lighting is telling you a piece of the story. The sound design is telling you a piece of the story. The compositions are telling you a story. The, the wardrobe and everything. And there's a couple of films like this um, that speak to that overt formalism, which I think are interesting. So in 2005, uh, Sin City came out. And Sin, ah, Sin, yes. and Sin City is a film which... Uh, directly pays homage to uh, Frank Miller's original artwork. Um, and, and in a way, um, the style is part of the experience of that film. Um, and I think, and for me, I, I really enjoyed Sin City because I think the style kind of matched the thematic concerns of what that film was. And everyone, it, you know, there was a there was a tonal coherency to that film. Sure. Um, whereas, uh, and I watched uh, in, in in preparation for this, I also watched um, a couple of. Um, uh, I thought I thought a little bit about Tim Burton's Batman movies hmm. uh, in terms of their approach to style, uh, which had this sort of overt gothicness to them, which kind of suggested Batman. You know, it allowed us before before Christopher Nolan to get to it. It allowed us to put Batman in a world that made sense. You know, with his long flowing cape and the sort of gothic, uh, sort of gargoyle infested, shadowy kind of world that kind of made sense. Uh, and then the other film that I watched that I just happened to have was Dick Tracy, the Warren Beatty film. Oh wow! And and you know that again has this sort of like. Uh, overt sense of um, formalistic style, again, pointing to a comic book. And there's this thing about that I was thinking to, thinking about, which is what is that style? If style is part of the substantive experience of the movie, what is the style in Speed Racer telling us? I mean, the style is, it's, I think it's there. It, this is a weird, this is a weird answer. Mm -hmm. I think it's there because... For as complex as it as the visuals are, mm -hmm. it washes over you in a way that other complicated visuals don't. It's so complex and kind of out there, mm -hmm. uh, you know, either when it came out or even now, even when it looks even more dated and unreal. Not that it looked real then either, but... Yeah. The fact that it washes over you so completely, if you sign on board, yeah, uh, it gives you, it helps deliver the feeling the film is trying to give you, which is the earnestness and the sort of familial feel that the original anime did as well. With Sin City, mm -hmm. this is sort of an interesting dichotomy or or, or comparison. Sin City literally took frames and the color palette and mm. everything from the comic book and just remade it into a movie yep. and it looked great yeah this took what i think the wachowski's emotional response to watching speed racer mm. and put what they thought their emotional response would look like because it so doesn't it look like outside of like car designs and, and character things it doesn't look like the original cartoon. Mm -hmm. It's much more and stylized, but it's a different style and a much more hyper style. Yeah. 
Um, but it does give you the feeling of 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 a Saturday morning adventure cartoon. Right. Jacked to 11 because now it's with real people. Yeah. And the fact that it's doing that lets it that sort of wash over you completely and effectively and and make what would be normally ineffective effective. Right. So in that sense it does the style I don't know if the style is the substance, but the style is the ether in which substance is delivered. Yeah, so you're saying the style and the substance are correlated by um, by perhaps a nostalgia for the original cartoon, but filtered through a, a sort of interpretive, uh, interpretive and updated um, visual language. And I think the intensity of the visuals mm-hmm. and the simplicity of the story and the the very punch you in the face one note characters. Yeah work so well in a yin yang sort of way for this because if one was more or less complicated it wouldn't have the weight distribution to to make like you know this weird contraption still perpetually move yeah it would break and it would fly apart and it would uh be like a crash without those goo bubbles that they fly out in like it it's a it's a weird it's a balancing act in imbalance and it's oddly satisfying right i it goes against a lot of what i would normally consider enjoyable because if you if even discussing this i keep like leaning into it then i'm like wait but i did enjoy it right so it's hard so the thing for me that i think is interesting is that i think the visual language is bright and colorful and beautiful in sort of that digital way that uh digital realities can be big bright and beautiful yeah um it's not painterly like um say ghost in the shell or something like that is sure like it doesn't have that sort of painterly quality it's got more of a gauche kind of you know bright big bold (laughs) kind of a gauche yeah um which i i I agree could kind of work into the tonality of the of the actual storyline but there's something in the thematic storyline that i thought was really interesting uh and that was this you know and again i can't i came back and and this was just again this is not to suggest that this is the absolute thematic concern of this movie or inception but this was the kind of way i connected these two films was this idea of imagined realities and there was a thing about uh uh, something that Speed was really interested in in this film, Speed and Pops, they talk a little bit about uh, how they watched this one race ah, yes. when they were younger, and it was the, you know, uh, Speed and his brother talk about the beauty of the race, the car is a living thing. Uh, Speed's mom talks to him about, I you know, whenever you watch, uh, I, I watch what you do, it's like an art, you know, like, yep. and I want you to be an artist. And basically, Royalton is standing up and saying, no, Everything that you believe about art is not true. It's entirely a manufactured concern. It is entirely a... um uh, it's a product. It, it's a product. It's you know, it's there to manipulate stock prices. Wherever uh, you believe there's art, there is actually something behind pulling the lever for us. And I think you know, the thing that I thought was interesting in terms of connecting the the stylistic choices to this is that the absolute rejection of realism. Um, you know, which I think, again, connects it to the original Saturday morning cartoon is part of this expression of artistic of artistic freedom. This is like the Wachowski saying, no, films should you know, the thing I love about films is art. The thing I love is this sort of 
bright, colorful, imagined world that is that has no commonplace sense to you know connected to reality. The 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 unfortunate meta text of this is, is that the film didn't succeed. It wasn't uh, you know it wasn't like Speed crossing the finish line and everyone celebrating. The film was fairly fairly wholeheartedly rejected by sure. a, by a common populace. So there's this interesting thing there where I and I I think this is something that. Um, the reason why the Wachowskis are really interesting filmmakers is that they have all the visual panache of, you know, a Michael Bay or something like that. They work on a big palette, you yep. know, like they, they're, they're, but they're, they're full, they're full of ideas. They're full of like grand ideas about reality, about the way our world works, about how science fiction can be analogous to to, to real world and 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 how those two can interplay with each other. That's what the entire Matrix is about. Yep. Uh, Cloud Atlas is a fantastic. I, I think Cloud Atlas is kind of their masterpiece. Uh, it's a really odd film that like like you feel like shouldn't work in any way but it kind of does and so i think this is an interesting expression the, the the visual style and the commitment to the visual style is a real expression of this thematic concern of allowing artists to be artists and allowing the truth of art to take over you know to be more important than the commercial realities of art and i think that was an interesting interplay to see those two work together like yeah. that can st- is in a way, the story is simplistic, and and I and I think as a viewer, and this is coming back to Will's question of can style be art? Uh, can style be the substance? I think that it is an entirely applicable way to watch this film is to watch it with your brain switched off and just absorbing the visuals, kind of like when we talked about the end of two thousand and one, A Space Odyssey, where you just have to like you know the final entry into Jupiter, which is this visual light show that goes on for ten to fifteen minutes. You just have to kind of run with it and and if you can if you can get on board the train then that is the experience of the movie you know if you can kind of absorb the the kind of visual language of the film and just move with it then it does function in that way where you can just switch off the narrative concerns switch off almost switch off the dialogue and just enjoy it as a sort of two-hour moving painting well painting is the wrong word two-hour digital i mean they're painting something yeah, digital creation. So I think that's a really interesting thing to think about with this particular film. And I want to come back to that overall as we get into our conversation about Inception. But did you have any other thoughts about this, you know, in relation to that question? Final thoughts about Speed Racer. If you waited this long to watch it, watch it. <laughs> um, if you watched it back in the day and you didn't like it, I might stick with that analogy. I might just I suggest you stick with it and don't rewatch it. Because... <laughs> Well, or or if you're interested to see how you've changed in ten years, like it might be a good litmus test for the the what what you what you allow to affect you emotionally, um, because it's weird and it was unexpected for me, and I didn't think I would have any draw to the film at all, and I did, and I think for all the reasons we discussed, I think a lot of the reasons, for instance, not to go over it again, but like some of the things that you hear, you had an issue with. Mm-hmm. I think were strengths for me, but that just goes back to how you and I watch films. I, but I wouldn't, I, I do not disagree with a word you've said. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just we're interpreting it different. And I, uh, while Speed Racer is not a hill I would consider dying on, mm-hmm. uh, I'd put up a decent fight about it. I think, and then uh, you know, wash my hands of it because it's it's not uh, you know uh, an incredibly important film in my oeuvre. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. What about, I mean, you got final, just the final I, thing I or you kind of did I've said it? my final thoughts because I want to, I think eventually what I would like to do is connect Inception and Speed Race. Oh, we're going to do it. With uh, with that notion of imagined realities. Well, this has been the only podcast about Speed Racer, but <laughs> what's up, Internet? I bought the airline. My name is Matthew Kroll. And you mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger, darling. My name is Shahir Dowd, and welcome back. And welcome back to Because We Never Left, the yeah. only podcast about the film Inception. That's right, you're getting a twofer because this is a review roundup. It's like we're doing the intro again, but you heard it. I feel like this film almost needs no introduction. But we just did one. No, no, literally, I don't think... I like. I can't imagine. It's it's like imagine if we did the Matrix. Sure, uh, sure, know, sure, sure. You know, like it, it, it almost needs no introduction. Look, it's the film that introduced robot farts into trailers. Oh, I actually know the person who who scored that trailer, and uh, I would be dis- I think he would be upset to hear that. No, no, no. <laughs> I look. It's it's defined what trailers are. Right. I would. I would. I would. Uh... What's the tone called? I don't know. I just use robot fart because I don't <laughs> have a better word. It's just. <laughs> I, I don't know what the technical term for it is, but I, 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 I uh, the composer is a, a person I've, I've dealt with professionally, Look, and I really, and his work is incredible. It's incredibly effective. It works amazing. It works so amazing that everyone ripped it off. Yeah. Uh, and that's why there's that's that's why I'm uh, slightly cynical about it. not because it did something great because everyone's like I want to take a shortcut like so I think, I think there was something incredible to this trailer when it came out. There was something where. Um, we've talked, uh, we, we, we've obviously reviewed Dunkirk on this podcast and which is odd because that, I feel like Christopher Nolan would be at the nexus of a lot of our conversations being young. Well, not, not necessarily young, but being male, young film at goers, heart, young film, uh, being male film goers. Uh, cause his films are very, uh, they seem to speak to a male audience fairly, uh, fairly directly. Um, but we've only direct, we've only talked about one film, Dunkirk, and I feel like Dunkirk is kind of the uh, the exception to the rule of Christopher Nolan in some respect, um, in that it's not quite like his other films. Um, so uh, I remember when this trailer came out, and and obviously um, again, go back and listen to that Dunkirk episode. We do kind of a run through of of all of Christopher Nolan's films. Indeed. Um, and this was in this period where. Uh, unlike, I think, the um, franchise filmmakers of today who only stick to their franchises, Christopher Nolan seemed to have come into a place where he could do one Batman film, then he would go off and make The Prestige. He would come back and do The Dark Knight, and then he would go off and make Inception. He would come back and do Dark Knight Rises, then he would go off and Interstellar. He would really do that whole sort of one-for-you, one-for-me kind of trick. But his one-for-me kind of uh, films weren't like personal indies or anything like that these were big large-scale blockbusters as well yeah they were just uh much they were all original properties um so this is a we've 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 obviously we've become acclimatized to christopher nolan at this point we've we've seen uh memento uh we've seen well i've seen following which i absolutely adore Mm -hmm. um then uh, uh insomnia and then batman begins which sets Christopher Nolan on the world stage. We get pr- the prestige after that, which kind of connects to his earlier work. Sure. And then we get the Dark Knight um, right before this, which is the first superhero film to make a billion dollars. It's the it's the out you know it's the the performance of Heath Ledger. Yep. And then in the in the middle of that in the in the middle of the 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 blitz of the Dark Knight, he releases the trailer for Inception, and it's like the the director of the Dark Knight, you know, the biggest movie of two thousand and eight, possibly one of the biggest movies ever made at that point, uh, is making an original thriller, and we and nobody knows what it is. That that was the beauty of that trailer. Is like you weren't quite sure 
what was happening yeah. in the trailer. Oh, look, I am a sucker for a good trailer that doesn't tell me shit. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. The biggest crime uh, that, that, that was ever done in trailerdom, I think, was Terminator 2 allowing it to sort of ruin one of the biggest surprises that the film was setting up is that Arnold's the good guy and the cop T-1000 is the bad guy. Like, right. the, and, and since then, trailers have been uh, fumbling over themselves and, and blowing their proverbial uh, intellectual loads far too early. <laughs> and it's it sucks. I you can get you know what actually is a really good trailer that just came out that I'm psyched for now and I, I it was not on my radar before. Yeah, Godzilla King of the Monsters. Okay, I haven't watched trailer. I, 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 I you don't. Yeah. But I was shocked how effective it was. It showed me monsters. It showed me stuff. I don't know what's going on, but I could already tell that there was a story deep, much deeper than the last Godzilla film, mm -hmm. even though this one is a direct sequel to it. This one felt like it might know what the hell it's doing as far as human characters okay. without telling me what's happening. Okay. And I was shocked. Right. That blew my mind that I was now interested in this film that I was like, after seeing the last one, I was like, no. So the trailer sold you on the movie. It really <laughs> did, which is its job. Okay. And it didn't spoil things. Now, Inception... Is Inception is no exception to that rule in the sense that it didn't spoil a thing and it made you wonder and it made you want to go to the the movies and see what the hell this thing was. I think one of the the brilliances of Inception's trailer is it takes the it takes the imagery of things that are going to happen in Inception and puts them out of context so that oh, yeah. we don't fully understand and we want to grasp what they are. So even when they do happen. The, the issue isn't that it's a spoiler. We suddenly are filled with the context of why it's happening. Yep. But let's put ourselves in 2010. So this is eight years ago now. Uh, where were you when you saw Inception? For the oh, first time? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm, uh, I, you don't have to tell me. I, where were you metaphysically? Where were you kind of in your developmental state? Working at MTV. Uh, doing doing television things. Going to see movies. Talk, still talking about films. Yeah. Um weekly live I, wow i've been we, i've been doing this a long time it's very strange um i think 2010 i think i was probably still high off the dark night to be kind of honest mm -hmm. um it's inception was great but i will say mm -hmm. i hadn't seen inception since i thought saw it in the theaters in 2010 okay Okay. Um, now that's not a slight to Inception. Yeah. That's that 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 falls into, and, it's, and I think Inception to a point falls into for me the category of once you know the trick, mm -hmm. it does lose a little. Uh, it loses the wrong word. It shifts the wonder because mm -hmm. I just rewatched it and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, knowing everything about it. Um, I think I often worried that if I watched it again, I wouldn't care because I knew exactly what it was. And I, and, and, uh, you know me, I'm opinionated. I had thought that I'd figured out what the movie was trying to say anyway, so I didn't need to go see it again to look for clues and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I, I going back, 
I I found I liked it for the sort of uh, richness as to trying to defend 2010's me's ideas of what the movie was trying to say. And sometimes <laughs> I need to unpack that sentence for me a little bit. Uh, sorry, like I thought I had all the answers for what Inception was trying to say. Is the top still spinning? You know, we, you know that you know that sort of thing. And then upon second viewing, I was happy to find that I didn't come to the exact same conclusions that I did, you know, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, I I dug the trip. It's a fantastic film. I think that the the acting in it is surprisingly worse than I remember. But mm-hmm. again, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I was shocked at uh, outside of Tom Hardy and Ken Watanabe and uh, eh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's always Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I was not impressed with <laughs> with the acting, especially weirdly of Leo. I'm normally a big Leo fan. Mm-hmm. And I think I've noticed that Leo can't do fatherhood <laughs> convincingly. And when the crux of a film is like how he wants to get back to a place with his kids, mm-hmm. I never bought this time I like when I first saw it, I was just interested in the visuals and you know, like mm-hmm. I was just like, Whoa, this is a crazy ride. And this one I was trying to like take it down a little bit. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, and uh Mal, uh who's mm-hmm. the actress who plays uh Marianne Cotillard. Thank you so much. <laughs> I was I was like I could remember her uh her face and she's fantastic in this movie called uh Four uh Two Nights. She's fantastic. I wanna put her in the in the camp anyway. I shouldn't say that most of the act I just I think Leo threw me, Ellen Page threw me. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. There was just something that like I almost kind of in a weird way, the same thing you felt about speed. Yeah. But in this film, it took away from it more than I than I thought it would. Again, I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it. I yeah. enjoyed the hell out of watching it again. It was super fun. Yeah. I was just shocked that I was having the issues with it there that I was. Yeah. Because I remember it being sort of untouchable. Right. Um, but maybe that's just how I've grown as a you know you know it's interesting going into speed racer real low expectations going into inception pretty high expectations yeah. and you see how that sort of weighs against itself yeah. what about you you, you were 2010 shahir 2010. how many power rangers were you by this point uh i was at least negative 0.5 power rangers at this point <laughs> um, probably actually probably further away than that probably negative seven fair power rangers. fair there's there's five power rangers right yep um so yeah definitely negative seven i mean only at one time there's multiple <laughs> power rangers we can get into that um i think i approach it uh again i was on uh i i I came to see this because of the christopher nolan um uh, director trail that kind of led me to this um i had felt that he was a filmmaker that i that i thought was getting more interesting with the bigger palettes he was getting but i was uh uh i was somewhat i really enjoyed uh batman begins but i really I found it almost unwatchable a second time. Huh. And I and I every time I watch Batman Begins, I kind of find it very very difficult to watch because I feel like he he around the time of Batman Begins, I think the last sort of film that didn't feel like this was The Prestige, but around the time of Batman Begins, Christopher Nolan's films became kind of labyrinths and they became giant puzzle boxes. And and the puzzle boxes is an interesting analogy, but the problem that I found was that everyone walked around talking about the puzzle box yeah. in all of his films. <laughs> yep. And I found that sort of narrative exposition that every character is doing at every moment of every scene somewhat like um, just difficult to take. And and I, I was always like, I really wish you would just slow down and kind of like let us live in a moment here or let us kind of experience this moment instead of having a character explain what this moment was. Yeah. Um, 
That said, I was very, very impressed by The Dark Knight. I think The Dark Knight took all of the problems that I had with Batman Begins and made them work. And I was, but still maintaining his like continual narrative exposition. Okay. So I was like, oh wow, he he's kind of come around now. I think he's he's managed to like click into place the things that he's doing into sort of a unified thing. And I was really so when I walked into Inception, I was kind of like, yeah, I'm I'm here for this. And Inception is one of those films that I think is deeply impressive but also impossibly silly most of the time. So I, I'm, I'm always, you know, like this is an ambitious movie. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the construction of dreams within dreams is so complex. The only way to describe it is like Georges Louis Borges on film. You know, it's a, it's the labyrinth, uh, the internal labyrinth that's twisting and moving around and is somehow still entirely coherent. Uh, and it's still kind of, there is a sense that there is an architect behind this that clearly knows what they're doing. Um, even though I find it sort of ridiculously silly most of the time. And most of the time when they're talking about the dreamscapes and how the dreams work and, you know, like, uh, and how, you know, your totem and how to build and, and, you know, the, the, the sort of the mysticism of the dream. And then most importantly, Mal's character and Mal's relationship to Cobb, uh, I found kind of interesting but ineffective it felt like it was the emotional anchor that was meant to be tied to this film to get you to connect to the whole thing but i never quite sort of connected to it i always found it sort of difficult to latch on to um in a sense that i always just wondered why they would use it you know like Cobb is you know like this this benevolent force of mal who can you know like will basically steamroll through any dream that Cobb is in is like uh, you, you go, well, why do you use Cobb then? Like, what is the special skill that Cobb has sure. that, that that causes you to, like, keep using him? So I, I kind of found that. I In repeat viewings, what I've really um, taken away from it, and this is going to come back to the Speed Racer discussion, is this sort of this notion that the film is about filmmaking in some respect. And the film is about the construction uh, and connection between dreams and cinema. Um I've always found that the way this film plays with dreams, uh, pretty unsatisfying. Like I, I, I feel like these are not the kind of, if this is a film about dreams, these are, these are, these are very clearly the dreams of an action movie junkie. Uh, you know, like, like these are, you know, gun toting, you know, uh, action movie kind of scene. Right. So I found, I've always found the sort of construction of, of the usage of dreams in this film to be, not problematic, but unsatisfying I can in, see that. In, in the conception of where I think dreams are. The the but the one thing that I think is interesting, well, it's it's, a, it's among many things. The notion that this is a deeply connected experience of filmmaking, and it and rather than dreams, it's actually more of a connection to cinema and our experience of cinema and how movies work for us. And which is where, and if and if you watch it through that lens, the kind of action movie sort of template that it uses for each and every single dream doesn't seem to bother me as much that's my feeling of it okay i i was always bothered both the first time i saw it and this time of how cavalier everyone is about this technology like it's it's supposed to be a known quantity like this is something that just happens yeah so like but everyone even ellen page when she's introduced to it yeah it's just like oh cool 
Yeah. And I was like, I, I actually don't mind that. I, I, I like that they don't like dive into how the technology sure, really works. I don't want to know how it works. Yeah. I just want a character who's introduced to it brand new and not in this world of mind espionage to be a little more wowed by it. Yeah. It's like, oh, cool. Must be Tuesday. Um, <laughs> and another thing. This movie always got me thinking about because I'm 100% on board with your uh, the dreamscape being a little unsatisfying. In fact, the only thing that ever feels truly dreamy is kind of limbo, which I have my own problems with. Yeah. Um, but could you imagine this tonal type of film, but mixed with the visual style of what the mind looks like with something like akin to the cell? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that like, uh, Tarsim's film is a much better example of like how I would expect dreams to play out on cinema like or even even a david lynch which is you know like imagine that i mean that would be insane it wouldn't be a christopher nolan movie anymore but it would be nuts and but but then there's an interesting thing which is that this is what i kind of love about the labyrinth of 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 this film but david bowie yeah yeah it's the david (laughs) bowie of this film is uh is the uh, is for every did in that the viewer walks into like that there is an explanation within the film Oh yeah, they love telling you explanations yeah, in they, this film. That, that's that kind of thing, which is like I admire the kind of the 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 ambition and the sort of really thorough world building here. Like it, I feel like this, the the one way you could describe the writing of this film is I feel like this was diagrammed on a wall really clearly. Like they thought about every roadblock and then and then worked through it. I have a question though. Yeah, this is more of a this is more of a nitty gritty question, and I always go I get a little confused. Yeah. So limbo, right? Mm-hmm. Is it communal? Yeah, I, I mean, is is any of how is any of this communal? Well, like, a lot of it, a lot of it, you can link back to who goes under when and whose dream you're yeah. actually in. Yeah, and I don't quite. I think, I think, mm-hmm. in the last bit, that we are in Cobb's. No, I thought we were in in uh, no, Ken I th- Watanabe's. No, because I think to save Ken Watanabe's life, they have to. <sighs> No, they, yeah, there is a weird thing. No, you're you're absolutely right. There is a weird thing where they jump into Cobb's like limbo, and then they go to like Ken Watanabe's. Uh, what, what's his name? I uh, Sato. Yeah, they jump into Sato because you know the film open bookends with them in with him in Sato's world. But he's he's to save him. They they I think they jack him in into Leo, and they have to rescue him from Leo's subconscious. I think or <laughs> yeah. limbo is a shared place, yeah. and also. Yeah, one thing I have a bit of an issue with is the names of the characters, some of the characters in this film. Like, Mal is literally, you know, M- means bad. Yeah, malcontent. Uh, or or <laughs> in, isn't Mal in Spanish bad? Yeah, in, in French as well. Yeah, so like, that's weird. And then like, Don Cobb. And like, I don't know, there's just... Funny, fun fact, Cobb is the, is the same character name that was in uh, Christopher Nolan's first film, uh, Following. Okay. So it's, it's... A lot of the names have like... Um, really uh they they mean things as opposed to the character like for instance the um aradne uh, aradne is the designer of the minotaur's maze and yeah. you know, there's a lot of like ah uh, you went to you went to literature you went to college <laughs> and he did and yeah. he did <laughs> uh which is great i love little things like that um you are t- sort of right what like why is leo there why is don like the person that can get this done and there's two. Also, why don't they just bring his kids to France? There's two. <laughs> Sweet child. Uh, there's two. There's two things. Yeah. There's two ways it can go. One, because it's cool to have a character with a boogeyman chasing them through a dreamscape. Yeah. Or two, 
he's been dreaming the entire time and everything's about him. They even bring it up. that the, the movie itself brings up the question like, really? You think a full government agency is going after you yeah. and that you're special and you can't get extra? Like, th- there's a whole thing. Yeah. So, like, ah. But, but so I, uh, the, the sort of... Um the the sort of critical fallacy that a lot of people have with this film is the is asking that question of is this a dream or not you know and is that final shot where it cuts to black um is this is this sort of a you know like has the whole film been a dream or is this a dream or are we in reality now i uh, i never cared for that question I, I just i don't care whether the top topples over i think the thing that's interesting is that is that it, the most important thing to me there is Cobb doesn't care uh you know he doesn't stick around to watch whether it falls over yes he's just there with his kid yep. and i think to me that is all i need to know about the ending of the film is mm-hmm. that with real or not imagined or not who cares he is with his child and and that is what he's wanted the we entire. see their faces yeah so so whether the 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 top Spin it folds over is irrelevant. There's an interesting thing about the totems, though, that I didn't quite catch until this time. Yeah. So Mal invented the ideas of the totems. Yeah. And therefore, they don't work because it didn't work. Well, because Mal went insane. But it wasn't the thing, though, is that Cobb then suggested with the totem that uh, the world you're in are, might not necessarily be real. Like the way he, he inceptions her is he puts the totem in her dollhouse and that makes her doubt the reality of the world she's in at that moment. Um, and the one thing I was kind of like, you know, because they, they have these rules for the totem, which yeah. is like, you know, only you know the weight the and weight feeling, yada, yada, yada. I was like, wouldn't one of the best things you could do about, you know, like if you want to protect your totem to make sure that you know it's real and not filled with, you know, from somebody else's subconscious is never show someone your totem? Yeah, everyone's like, look at my totem. Yeah, I was like, well, then doesn't that mean that they can then create a totem in the your dream and give it to you, and you could be confused by yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, the the more you the more you pick at this film, the less it sort of makes sense. I'm sure there is a definitive like like you said, it was probably designed very specifically on many different walls uh, yeah. with with lines of yarn connecting things <laughs> like a serial killer's resume. But the I don't think I, I I do like your read of it being that it's not about whether or not he's in the dream; it's where he is left as yeah. a character, and that that and that's the way again. We talk about this a lot, non-endings. I don't think this is a non-ending. I think this is an ending. Yeah, I uh, think the ending actually like pretty fairly, not not necessarily definitively lands because it is, it is you know, cut to black kind of thing. But I think I am comfortable where the character is gone. I understand where Cobb is. Mm-hmm. And where Cobb is, it is it doesn't matter because he's with his kids. Yeah. That's it. The the so but the 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 reason I think this is sort of interesting in this in this conversation in connection with Speed Racer is this notion of imagined realities. Sure. Uh, and this notion of of realities that are crafted by creators. Um, and and you know in Speed Racer we've got the sort of intertextual thing with this reality of the race that is pure and is good and that we should all aspire to that is sort of destroyed by royalton and then we've got the sort of metatextual and uh, you know um uh, reality of this world that is that similarly aspires to that sort of artistic level in inception it's the same thing it's this it's this sense that the film to me if you read it in sort of a certain way feels like it's a film about construction realities in the same way that people make films there's no 
there doesn't seem to be much surprise in the fact that Cobb, uh, in his style and dress, and Leonardo DiCaprio looks a lot like Christopher Nolan. Isn't amazing if you put the photos together? Sure. Um, they look very, very similar. So actually, it, what you're saying right now actually goes back to what Raphael actually wrote uh, about uh, when we asked him more questions about this movie because he actually originally requested mm-hmm. us, we review this film. Uh, he talks about is it you know. It's a perfect uh, example that a so-called blockbuster can be pretty damn smart. In my opinion, he says, Nolan is one of the few filmmakers trying something different and original in big-budget movies, not just doing sequels, remakes, and otherwise uh, repeating the same formula over and over again. I agree with that statement, even though he does use his, his favorite uh, his favorite little buddy in the entire things he always does, which is time. He plays with time in a weird, fun way. But the, the, the active sort of thing that I really like about this film and what goes into the sort of filmmaking as a... This, fil- this film as a... Metaphor for, for filmmaking is Christopher Nolan's going to make a blockbuster. Mm. Christopher Nolan's going to make a blockbuster about going in dreams. Yeah. Go, Christopher Nolan's going to make a blockbuster about going in dreams that actually is very akin to making a film because that's what the that's what the the architect is actually doing in yeah. all of these things yeah. like you can go down yeah, the making, levels for, yeah for example the snow chase is very much like uh honor majesty's secret service oh, the james yeah. bond film you know and then there's limbo and then after that i think shahir after you get to limbo if you can get to a fifth level mm-hmm. that's speed racer <laughs> yeah speed racer is the speed final of, is the final, final is the absolute final level of dreamscape that dreamscape or maybe it's a nightmare i don't know depending on how you look at I it i think it's just a, it's what it's what <laughs> i me it might be a nightmare it's what i hope my subconscious looks like yeah i and i think there um again this notion of imagined reality so so both films are try and both characters in both films or you know uh, characters in all films are kind of striving to to some reality um you know and and they both come to this conclusion as well again uh, not necessarily intentionally you know saying that both these films are kind of connected in this way but the way i connect these two films sure is is this idea that the the re- the truth that they that they aspire to is not actually a truth that 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 they originally believed it was and in inception um you have cobb kind of finally confront mal at the end of the film and say you I did the best I could, but you are just a, you are a mere shadow of who Mal actually was and the complexities of her. Mm-hmm. You are just a, a facsimile of of what I think Mal was. And in in Speed Racer, I think it's that same sort of aspirational question around the 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 purity of the race. You know that gets yeah. deconstructed, and then he kind of is able to move on from it. Um, and it, you know, like from a from an academic point of view, there was a there's a the you know then this is film one hundred and one kind of stuff. But there's a famous article by Jean Boudriard called Simulacra and Simulation, which I think speaks to the 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 sense of imagined realities that this that this film kind of uh, that both these films kind of speak to. Um, have you re- have you ever read that uh, essay? Or, so long ago. Yeah. So simulation is this idea that there is a connection to the real. You know, so objects. Uh, if you create something, there is a connection to the real, or a simulation of. But then there's this alternate thing, and he calls it a higher order of simulation called simulacra. And and the suggestion there is simulacra uh, almost has no connection to the real anymore, and it is it's an it's its own entity unto itself. 
so an example of simulacra would be Disneyland. Disneyland is supposedly sort of a simulation of Americana as we know it, but in fact it has no representative quality to, of, of America as we know it. Right. It only is what it is because it says it is what it is. And and it has become its own entity. So simulacra is... Uh, it's a, chaos magic. Um, the, the quote I would use from, from him, when, uh, from Boudriad is, uh, the simulacrum is never which, uh, that which conceals the truth. It is the, it is the truth which conceals that there is none. The simulacrum is true unto itself. Right. Um, and I think the, the point there that, that Inception kind of plays at is, the only truth of Mal as she exists now is the one that exists in his head. The real Mal does not exist anymore. Right. She is no longer a thing. It is just a manifestation of what is hid. And it's not the true Mal. And that is the 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 reason why I don't care when the 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 thing topples over is that the the totem means nothing. Well, because it's all perception. Yeah. I mean, look, it's also God. It's it's weird. We're talking about sort of the reality of things because we live now currently in a world where where reality could literally be put into question depending on who you actually speak to. I have a good quote for that. <laughs> um, but the the fact of the matter is, yeah, Leo invents uh, a monster in a reality and then he beats the monster that he invents in his own reality and maybe he's in real real world and maybe he's in fake real world but it feels real enough to him to continue on the other thing about speed racer is speed is in and, and I'm, I'm talking about sort of the mindset of racing as his reality first yeah. it's pure it's something he enjoyed with his brothers and his father and it's something that he thinks can't be tainted and then someone rips the curtain away and says no fuck you it's not that this is what it is. This is what you like your your sentiments is bullshit. This is how the real world works. Yeah. And then the entire rest of the film is him fighting to prove that like to rip a third layer away and be like no, you're wrong. Yeah. So it's a it's a I think both characters are kind of fighting to regain their sense of reality. But the sense of reality honestly whether or not that sense of reality is real doesn't matter as long as you feel like the reality is real. I'm saying you yeah. as in the characters. Yeah. So Cobb yeah. feels like his reality at the end is real. Speed feels like his reality at the end is real, even though if you watched another racing season, it's probably going to go no straight sense, back to... There's no sense that the world has actually restored order in any way. No. And I think I think that's a, the, the, the sort of... The not the quandary, but the the framing that Raphael's question kind of posits as well, which I think is great, is is isn't it amazing that um, a large scale blockbuster can play in that in that uh, continuum where ideas are bigger th are more important than the actual sort of spectacle of it? Here's the here's the interesting thing though. I think the ideas are what keep it. The I, I, the ideas are what keep it a classic. Yeah. But the ideas aren't the thing that got us into the seats. We, we we had a pedigree of a director we really liked and a storyteller we really enjoyed. So we have that. Plus, we had this trailer that showed us mind-bending visual. The, the the hallway, rotatey hallway scene. Dear God. Yeah. It's amazing. I would, I, I would venture to say that's the best um, visual spectacle that Nolan has ever made. It's so good. Yeah. And so the – I think – we come for the for the flashiness, yeah. but we stay for the emotion, not the emotional, for the intellectual. Uh... I think for the repeat viewing as well. Like I think, I think the the film stands up to repeat viewing viewings. Even though I find, you know, like I said right at the front, I find it a deeply impressive but also ridiculously silly film. Yeah, but 
no matter how silly I find it, I still enjoy the experience of watching it because I feel like it's like going down a labyrinth that always has interesting corners that I kind of want to explore a little further yeah. every single time. Yeah. Um, so it does actually function. And, and if you think about, you know, I think one of the primary complaints I've had about blockbusters on this podcast is how throwaway so many of them feel. This does not feel throwaway. No. Because, because there is a lot at the heart of this that is trying to expand the medium in any way. I had an interesting conversation with Will uh, where we talked about uh, this was this was a, a phrase of my own invention, but the morality clause that filmmakers make with um, with their audiences, and the morality and ethical clause kind of suggests that we will not in 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 large scale films is that we will not go too far out of the mainstream. We will not venture too far sure, uh, sure, sure. beyond, you know, like you're not going to get a Alejandro Hodorowsky film if you're coming to watch Transformers. You know, like things aren't going to get super, super weird. Uh, you know, not like Boots Riley, for example, doesn't have to make that morality clause because he's not speaking to a large scale yeah. audience. And the I think Speed Racer and Inception are, re- are two really good examples of um I think ethical clause is probably a better phrasing because morality clause we were talking about something else. Uh, but but Inception and Speed Racer are two good examples of the ethical the ethical contract that you make with an audience being broken and not broken. I think in the case of Inception, the the the, the there's a there's a sense of leading you into a film that has got all the spectacle that you would normally expect. It has got all the visual thrills that you would normally expect. And this is surprising given that it's a film about dreams and you and I both agreed that like our dreams don't look and feel like yeah. this. Uh, this feels like a movie. Um, but, but does expand the boundaries of what you can get, not too far, but just enough to make it interesting. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like the reason why Speed Racer wasn't necessarily as well accepted and is only kind of regaining some fervor now because of time passing is that I think it broke that contract uh, with the audience. I think it was a step too far, uh, for most audience members in terms of the visual language was just too far beyond, but that doesn't mean it's not. Yeah, no, I get that. You know, not. Uh, fully cohesive. Uh, the last thing I think I'll say, and this is again, I like picking apart the story of Inception because yeah. we could, we all know it's a good film. Uh, Limbo. Again, I go back. <laughs> yeah. How is it so dangerous if all you have to do to escape it is kill yourself? I the, so I think the first thing I want to point out as well is like we very rarely see them old in Limbo. And the suggestion is they were there for fifty years. Yeah, but whenever we see them, they're like. 20 something year old yeah. there's one shot where you see them kind of all walking holding hands yeah yeah and you're like oh wait what but what then I, they're young when they go to the train tracks yeah yeah and whenever we see them kind of building limbo it's like they're young anyway, yeah i think the the issue with limbo is is that if you stay in there for too long you become convinced that this is the reality that you that this is reality that you can exist in okay and the issue that that cobb had was that he um he in order to get mal out of limbo he made the suggestion he he incept he created yep. you know did inceptioned her with this idea that the reality you live in might not be the real reality sure but unfortunately that idea like he says took root took root and so when they went back up into the real world where they may have only been asleep for like 20 minutes or a, a, an hour or a yeah. day or whatever um that idea continued and it grew and it bred and it festered to the point where she took her life in that world. Yeah. Um, so I, okay. th- I think the idea is that the, the, 
the pleasures of limbo are such that they can overpower your sense of reality. Ah, okay. I think. No, no, that makes sense. Yeah. I think, you know, I think that would probably hold up under a closer, that feels correct. Yeah. Uh, I was just wondering that because I was watching it and I was like, this seems like a, uh, well, it, here's, here's the thing. It feels like it would be such a gradual thing that you'd catch yourself before that happened. But like, it, it, but it, you don't know you're in a dream until you until you wake up. But but everyone who was in limbo at the end knew they were in limbo. That's the weird. That, you know, like so it's only a matter of time until you you know that until you don't know that. There's yeah, a, there's it would have been interesting if Adria uh, Aradnia Aradnia yeah. had like went into limbo and became seduced by it. Yeah, and and was like no because this is, because she's supposed to be this yeah. this this dream architect, and now you can literally do whatever you want whenever you want. You tell me that's not sexy. You tell me that's not what you want to do. See, this is also the the sort of wonderful um, uh, sort of I guess finger trap of this of this film, which is that you can always get locked into certain ideas here. And one of the, one of the things I would say is is that uh, none of the characters feel like individual characters. They feel like very pure archetypes that don't seem to have a lot of personality. You know, like I would I would love it if when we went into uh, Tom Hardy's dream that it had this entirely different visual nice. language yeah. to to every other dream. And when we went into Limbo, I mean, Limbo kind of does have its own visual language, but everyone had like their own visual language. And I, they sort of do. But the interesting thing is, is one of the things Cobb says is, Everyone in my dream is actually just a is just a manifestation of my own psychology. And then if you watch this as like a manifestation of Christopher Nolan making a you know discussing the sure. process of making a film, every character is just like him. Here's here's the last nit I will pick about this film. So uh, Saito, yeah, uh, he wants to get the this guy to dissolve his company. Yeah, so he can be the leader of all big money people who are leaders. Well, he also has a he also has an altruistic way. He says that uh, the future of energy depends upon. Yeah, I don't believe Tight. it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Sure, let's say he's the most altruistic man ever to live. Who also buys an airline? Well, this that 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 one line, the line that I actually said when I, we we started this midpoint conversation, is actually the line that if I wanted to, could break the movie for me because I find it hard to believe that a man who could just do that on a whim yeah. and who is the second most rich whatever the heck person on the mountain. Yeah couldn't have a million other options <laughs> other than doing this elaborate kidnapping scheme oh, to yeah. go, like it's like it's ridiculous it's ridiculous <laughs> and it's so funny because like i get it like his superpower is that he's rich like i understand <laughs> he also happens to be in places that they're exact like oh, he, he turns up in Mombasa. Deus X all day <laughs> long so you look i i'm not trying to I don't want to pee on anyone's candle to make mine burn brighter. I just want I, I though it's I've moments like that. that phrase you haven't. I've never heard that phrase. Oh before. wow! No, that's like, how does peeing on someone else's candle? It doesn't. Make, okay. That's that's the that's the thing. You do it whenever you you shit on somebody. Um, or you like you talk and, down to them. It's like you're trying to do it to make yourself feel better, but that never makes your particular candle. If you if I put out a candle, it doesn't make mine brighter. In New Zealand, we call it tall poppy syndrome. Woo! Yeah. It's it's basically where if there's a tall poppy, you cut it down so everyone's on the same. Ah, uh, see that's nice. Yours yeah. is like life and plants, and ours is just burn shit and piss. Well, we don't pee on things. Well, <laughs> oh, 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 sure, sure you don't. Anyway, Inception's great. I like I like that you found a way Shahir to connect these two films, and that's not an easy feat. And I don't. I agree with how you've chosen to connect them. I don't. And at first, I got to be honest, when you texted me about how we're going to do this, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a stretch. I don't think it's a stretch 
at all. Yeah. I I think I I I um uh what's the word I'm looking for? I discounted this idea before the conversation and I have been turned around by the 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 evidence and the discussion that we've had because it makes a hundred percent sense. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I, I I think, I think um, I, I was I, I appreciate that they that the that both Will and Raphael asked us these questions, and and I think Will's question in particular, can style be substance, is the framework for how you could watch a lot of movies and think about a lot of movies and how they're put together. Yeah. And I think Inception just has a. I will here. Here's a here's a suggestion though to like really break the world. An Inception. Uh, there's an interesting thing. Which is that Christopher Nolan was offered the keys to the DC cinematic universe after after um, yep. after the success of the Batman franchise. He was basically said, you know, you can produce, you can direct Superman if you want to, or you can choose your successor. And he did choose a successor, and the person he chose was Zack Snyder. Yep. And he chose Zack Snyder on the basis of the film Sucker Punch. And the reason he ch- and and I have always been like, huh, that's a, a strange choice because Inception. In every way that Inception manages to work, Sucker Punch completely falls flat on its face. Yeah. But it is working in the same kind of layered reality that I think Christopher Nolan is very interested in. And it it, it doesn't quite it obviously doesn't function very well. But I I was I'm you know, like this is how we were sort of fortunate to get two interesting films by two very uh, or three very yeah. commanding filmmakers. Uh, it, y- the connections don't necessarily work as well if you get confronted by a film like Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch, <laughs> it's so funny because here's here's what I think. I think if you got Christopher Nolan and Zack Snyder talking about like realities within realities and like in a room yeah. talking about that stuff, I think that they would love that conversation more than anything. And I think that that is probably what sold him more than even... I think the idea of Sucker Punch sold him more than then, Sucker then, then Punch see, did. Well, have you seen Sucker Punch? I did. <laughs> I have a lot... I actually do have a lot of respect for Zack Snyder. Um, I really, really like Zack Snyder as a filmmaker. I don't think he's made very good films, but I think he's got an interesting thing. And I and, and I, I want it uh, to evolve. Yeah, I kind of... I'm curious as to like... If he could, because because I think he's actually almost in a weird way not far off from Christopher Nolan, but Christopher Nolan is a much more coherent filmmaker. And there's this thing that I think about, which is the mirror box of filmmaking. Like ultimately, once you've made a film, it is a manifestation of who you are as a person at that I, moment. Yeah, yeah, at at any moment, you know, like it is it is what you. You know, every failure of a film is a reflection of you. You know, the failures of your thinking process. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And every success is a is a reflection of your successes. And and I think Zack Snyder has the ability to succeed because he's not that far off from what Christopher Nolan does. But Christopher Nolan managed to succeed, whereas Zack Snyder doesn't. Well, I mean, monetary. It also depends on what your definition of success is. I mean, they're both incredibly not monetarily. Okay, I'm gonna borrow. I'm gonna borrow the Wachowskis. Uh, you know, purity of the race kind of theory. Sure. And and I would say that Christopher Nolan has had far more success as a filmmaker. Well, especially these And I said I want Zack Snyder to evolve. I almost, but that to that point, I almost kind of want him to devolve. I want to see more of the style of stuff he did back when he did the remake of Dawn, Dawn of the, the Dead. Dead. Yeah. Uh, and I I still think Watchmen. Yeah. 
is a phenomenal film. And I, I, I've i said this before, and I'll say it again until my dying day. Yeah. The reason why Watchmen works with Zack Snyder and Man of Steel and the DC Cinematic Universe does not is because I do believe that deep down, Zack Snyder doesn't like the concept of superheroes. He wants to deconstruct them and do different things with them. The, the reason why Watchmen works, and I've said this before, is because the entire thing is dealing with the ridiculousness and sort of the deconstruction of superheroes and how superheroes wouldn't really work in a long-term thing so like there's a whole there's all and, and it's it's the flavors that match really well together i want Zack snyder to find preferably out of superhero dumb i want to find i want him to do a film that matches his flavor and his interests um if, you know in a in a in a better way and i perhaps, hope that that wasn't sucker punch uh I, well perhaps atlas shrugged will be it or is it no it's the fountain it he's doing next yeah uh, the Anne yeah. Rand film yep so, so we'll see who knows um, anyway yeah. wow we've been going for a bit here anything else in inception before we close out this wonderful uh request roundup number two uh nothing other than thank you to uh, both will and Rafael for suggesting them we've enjoyed revisiting them and this has been the only podcast about inception and speed racer the strangest double feature you'll ever watch i you know it's good it's it was it was an enjoyable uh double take for me shahir when you are not racing down the track of your own dreams where can folks find you <laughs> probably asleep <laughs> most of the time uh, at www.shahirdowd.com matt when you are not purchasing airlines for which you can sleep in first class where could people find you you can find me nuzzling up with one of those giant ass neck pillows and a giant <laughs> bottle of scotch at m-a-t-t-h-e-w-k-r-o-l.com for my life and works also skeletor the number four p-r-e-z on instagram or emperor msk on twitter also so please check out all of my work and everyone's hard work over at Extra Credits. We're doing some some super fun stuff these days. Flu pandemic still trucking. The flu's still going, Shahir. Yeah. And uh, we're we're doing a couple. We're, oh, we actually. Oh, I can't talk about that. Damn it. Never mind. Anyway. Um, yeah, this has been super fun. Thank you, everyone who who has not only requested things that we are catching up on, but that it continues to want to request things and listens and everything. Please email us uh, with your thoughts about Inception or Speed Racer at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com, or you could uh, only find us at onlymoviepod on Twitter. Um, and Facebook. Still message on Facebook. Help. Message on Instagram. Message us anywhere. Um, <laughs> but just don't request movies. But just don't request movies. I mean, you can. It just we won't we won't do them. Yeah. Uh, but we'd love to talk about we love talking about any of this stuff. We get into a lot of fun conversations on Twitter. Shahir is very active on there, uh, and I pop in for for <laughs> annoying color commentary. Um, yeah, that's it. We will see you next time, uh, and or you'll hear us next time in your dreams. In your dreams. Dream a little dream of me. Oh, you took it too far. You took it too far. I liked it where it was before. You ruined it. You made it like you took what was a good idea and you made it. You layered it down bad. I didn't. I didn't enjoy what you did. The tone was wrong. <sighs> <laughs>